Hello and welcome to the Cat Maste Chronicles podcast. We have exciting, interesting and powerful stories from pet owners about their projects, businesses and ventures. I'm your host, Michelle Adams, founder of Chatty Cats Care, London's professional cat sitting company. Join me as I dive deep into conversation with pet owners to chat about their individual journeys and of course, their beloved pets. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Cat Mass Day Chronicles. This week we are joined by an inspirational woman called Vanessa Wallace. She is an emotional well-being coach and psychotherapist. Having come into recovery herself in 2001 from some serious mental health issues, she made it her mission to help others recover from emotional difficulties and live their life the way they dream of. Vanessa is also a pet owner and animal lover. She has owned cats and dogs most of her life. When she was younger, she wanted to become a vet. She currently has two rescue pugs who have helped her get through the challenges of lockdown. I'm looking forward to this conversation today as I know it could help so many people who are listening and struggling with their mental health right now. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us today, Vanessa. I've really enjoyed reading all about you and learning about the services you provide to help others. So I'm very happy that you're coming onto the show and speaking today. I've introduced you briefly already but if you could tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself, that would be amazing. Yeah, sure. And thank you, Michelle, for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. And, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a mum. I've got three grown-up children, um, kind of in their late 20s now. Um, one 30-year-old, actually, which makes me feel old. And <laughs> I've got two grand, grandchildren, two daughters, granddaughters. I live with my husband, the two pugs and the cats. Um, who's called Summer in Northamptonshire and currently we, we moved here from London nine six years ago um after and we're very very happy here because the countryside I just love the countryside mm-hmm. I'm a CBT therapist um and that's my training however I've worked in many different mental health organizations and addiction recovery um treatment centers and I run my own business now called Crystal Clear Coaching which combines all of these things that I've learned over the years in working with mental health difficulties as well as a little bit about my own journey um so i've got a wide approach and believe recovery is about the mind body and spirit that's been my experience yeah absolutely it, it's very true um if you don't mind um vanessa um i usually like to kind of take it back from the very beginning when I talk to people on the show. So if you don't mind sharing, um, Vanessa, I would like to talk a bit about your past and the difficulties that you struggled with at the beginning of the journey, um, of your own journey. Yeah, sure. Um, I suppose when I was younger, I did suffer with quite low self-esteem. I was quite shy as a young teenager. Uh, I was also in an all-girls boarding school, which was quite an overwhelming environment to mm. be in, um, especially for someone like me. And so I started to dabble with drunk and drugs. Um, and I think they gave me some confidence, kind of took me out of that kind of stuff that was going on in my head. Um, and that actually progressed. And it began. Came by the time I was um, 23, 24, I, I had a chronic addiction to heroin. And um, during that period, I, I suffered depression and anxiety all the way through. I think actually I was depressed before this started, probably from age 11, 12 years old. Never got identified or noticed. Um, I just self-medicated. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, basically, I, you know, that's, that those were my struggles. I didn't see it as a struggle at the time. I saw that I um, found a solution, but obviously later on, when I became addicted to heroin, it, it became a real struggle, and life became really difficult. I wasn't achieving what I wanted to achieve. I was letting everybody down. I was living a very chaotic life, and it was really, really difficult. And um, I was very, very depressed and quite desperate. Actually, I was at one point I I didn't want to carry on anymore, and um, through a series of circumstances. 
uh, which I'm sure we haven't got time to go into, but I had a bad car accident and um, it basically kick-started me into doing something about my life. And um, But when I came off everything, I went to a treatment centre. I was in treatment for a year um, for drinking drugs. But when I, I then still had to struggle with myself and learn about myself, and my anxiety, my depression. I still had to treat those conditions. So that was where I started to... Um, do the things that I did, you know, learn the things that I did. Um, there's been ongoing struggle for me, you know, over the years and yeah. even being in recovery, you know, it's, it's not been easy. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, it's a process, I guess, that you kind Absolutely. of go through. Yeah. Um, and it's so common that people kind of lean towards um, addictions and, and different substances while, while they're going through something because it's that escapism um mm. that you're trying to seek I guess um and yeah I think so many people can relate um more people can relate than they actually say because I think a lot of people struggle um with mental health and it's just not spoken about enough um for people to feel comfortable to kind of come forward or share their stories when you came into recovery in 2001 did you know that you wanted to make it your mission to help others who are recovering from emotional difficulties or did that come at a later stage for you? Uh, that's a really interesting question, Michelle, because actually um, I I was interested way before any of my problems really started. Oh, okay. Um, I applied from um, sixth form to go to university to study psychology and anthropology when I was 18 years old. Um, that was before I identified or knew I did have problems then, but I didn't identify that. But I went and studied um, that. That was my first degree. And then in um, 1998, after the car accident that I had the bad vomit I mentioned earlier, I then went and studied a counselling course. So I desperately wanted to help others. And during all the time of all this chaos, I was living in Wales at the time, I was volunteering for various organisations. So I was working for an HIV phone line, which was really needed at that time in the late 90s, especially in Wales, because, you know, there was quite um, almost a little bit to the bit. No offence to anybody in Wales, but, yeah. you know, things were behind at that time. And, mm. you know, HIV was around and it was, it was a lot of stigma. So, um, and obviously there were people who, you know, were coming out HIV positive. So, um, yeah, I, I was volunteering. I was helping people in that way. Um, but I think it was it, it was there within me Yeah. anyway. Yeah. I, but I'd just gone off on my own path for my own difficulties. Exactly. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I was actually speaking to somebody um on a previous episode called Solomon Smith, he works um, with homeless people um, to help them recover from any difficulties that they're experiencing and um, helping them to get housing and food and counselling. And he also experienced some um, difficulties himself in his life. And what I was saying was, I think it's so important for people who have shared experiences to be in these type of roles, because I think that people can connect and relate with you on a different level. And I guess people feel more comfortable speaking to somebody who, who knows, who may know what they've been through. Mm, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really admire you um, for using your past experiences to help others, actually. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about what Crystal Clear Coaching has to offer for people? So Crystal Clear Coaching, um, what we what we do, or I do, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's just me, essentially. Um, but I have a team of people who join me on the retreat and work with me on the, some of the online workshops we do. But we, you know, I provide... Um, support for people who are struggling with anxiety and depression who have reached a point where they really feel they, they need to do something quite often they've kind of reached that point of crisis it's all starting to fall apart functioning goes out the window you know daily functioning um so we offer three-day retreat so that's where you go away to a beautiful house in a beautiful setting and during that time we 
do you know mindfulness we do yoga and we focus on the body but we also do the cbt so we learn about how our mind is working why we're in the place that we're in why we're feeling so overwhelmed and develop the strategies to move forward from that and to get out of that um and then we look at the kind of the life vision so where do you want to go from here what do you need after having the key kind of areas looked at during the three days um people tend to get more in touch with what their needs are by being in that space yeah. because it's all about an individual's needs it's not about the needs that i tell you that you need it's about the, the needs that you know you need but maybe you're not fulfilling and um so we you know we give people the opportunity with psychotherapists there with yoga teachers who are skilled in working with mental health trauma depression anxiety um, and mindfulness meditation teachers who are also skilled in that area so you know it's that three-day experience i also run for those people who can't get away for three days or don't want to go into the group environment a 12-week cbt mindfulness and um mindfulness cbt and mindfulness course which actually covers a lot of the content that we cover on the retreat so you can do that one-to-one with me either face-to-face if you live kind of nearby or um we do that online as well on a zoom meeting so those are the two main things i offer i do do cbt individual sessions as well which you know i i have quite a few clients who come to me for just that the main thing is the retreat that was my kind of baby and my dream you know was to run these retreats absolutely i think you know getting away into a different environment changes so many things for people because sometimes you know if you have therapy on zoom it can be you know you're still you may still be in that negative space where you've kind of been experiencing things so it's nice to be able to get out and into a different environment yeah absolutely absolutely I also run as you since lockdown I've started doing some online sessions uh, we did a few online retreats with some of our participants. Okay. Um, yeah, we, they worked very well, actually. They went really, really well. But we also, uh, now I'm running uh, two online sessions, one's on resilience and one's on self-belief. And I run those uh, once every couple of months, and they're on a Saturday and Sunday. So they're like taster sessions for yeah. people. Who, he might, you know, just to see how the style works, how it, how it feels to be in a group of people, but only for an hour and a half on a Saturday afternoon. So, you know, it's like that gentle introduction. Okay, that sounds good. Quite flexible. Um, can you tell us a bit about the rebel method? What does it mean and, and how does it work? Okay, so the, the rebel method is basically everything that I do it, it describes everything that I do in the journey of mm. my clients so the people who come on board with me and follow the journey through this is what they get so the R is reduce the inner critic or remove the inner critic it, that's up for debate because do we actually need to remove the inner critic or do we need to have to tone down the voice of the inner critic that's interesting because the inner critic is actually has something important to say sometimes so yeah we do a lot of exercises around managing the inner critic reducing that noise because it's very strong and very loud for a lot of people yeah and that prevents you from moving forward it certainly did for me my inner critic was so loud that i was just paralyzed i was frozen i, I can't do anything mm. i had a strong voice because i wasn't good enough um so we work with that but the key part of the work that I do. The E is educate about the mind. It's so important to understand what's going on in your mind and how your brain works. And my clients laugh at me if because I talk to my brain. I'm kind of like, okay, well, you're saying that, but actually this is true. Or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you're being very negative today. But actually, what about this positive stance on what's going on? Um, so just recognizing what's going on. I, you know, I do a bit of neuroscience, but very explainable, you know, not the deep kind of learning what all the neurons are, but actually understanding what's going on and why you feel the way you feel, especially if there's past traumas, hmm. especially if there's incidents that have happened. And traumas can be all kinds of different things. For instance, having COVID is a trauma, can be a trauma, 
or you know loss, bereavement, that's trauma as well. So it, it sticks in our minds and it impacts. And there's reasons for that because the brain, brain, brain reacts to those things in a certain way. So understanding that is just gold dust. I feel. Yeah. It's just knowing what's going on and why you feel the way you do really helps. So that's to educate. The be be yourself. I use I know loads of questionnaires, loads of exercises to support people to understand who they are. So many people come to me and say, I don't know who I am anymore. Or I never knew who I am. Mm-hmm. But we do lots of stuff to, to help to draw that out and to understand that. Because we're so influenced by other people, by expectations, by society, that we lose a sense of who we are. And onto the E, um, it's, you know, I say eradicate anxiety and depression. Yeah, I believe we can do that or eliminate it. But also maybe we can just alleviate it. But just by understanding who you are and living true to yourself, anxiety and depression starts to drift away. It really does. That's what happened to me, and I've seen it in my clients. And then living the life that you dream of, that's the L. You know, just moving into freedom, peace of mind, being okay again. You know, not being anxious about what your neighbor thinks of what you're doing or, you know, what somebody's going to think about you or, you know, you've not got to, you know, you're not happy with your job. All those kinds of things. Um, It takes time. It's a process, like you said at the beginning. but we really can live the life that we dream of. And it's not having the car or the house. It's about peace inside. But it certainly was for me. Yeah. That's what the rebel method. Yeah, it sounds like a really good recipe um, of different things that come together and everything that you need. And I'm glad that you um, just mentioned about trauma um, and how, you know, it can it can stem from so many different things. I think sometimes, you know, people may not realise that they are dealing with trauma I think it's easy to kind of just push things to the side and not kind of I don't know acknowledge that that might have been a traumatic experience yeah yeah we have this mentality don't we we've got to get on with it or other people go through this as well I mean it's a classic with the bereavement or with COVID you know people who've had COVID worse than me but then how has it impacted you you know and you know oh you know everybody goes through bereavement yes but bereavement is traumatic you know it's lost and you know we need to get out of this kind of I don't know duty to be tough and coping all the time because it can be quite damaging I think it's a very British thing I don't know what you think it seems like you know I don't know from from what I kind of see in here you know, it's discussed more openly in America, but in in the UK, we're very still quite prudish about discussing yeah. these things. Absolutely, yeah. It's a stiff up, stiff up a lip thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, get on with it, and you know, brush yourself down, and all those kind of things. As, as they still stick around. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to touch on some recent news in the media, and I'm sure you may have watched or if not heard about the recent interview with Meghan and Harry on Oprah. So many of us who've experienced difficulties with mental health and have experienced um, suicidal thoughts knew exactly how Meghan must have felt. What can society do to better help and support people who are going through these things? What? For me, the big message, I think, is I actually did a post on Facebook and, you know, I tend to kind of steer away from, you know, being involved too much in kind of current controversial issues. Um, yeah. But this one was, was really struck me because it's, it's like if somebody is saying that they don't want to live anymore, just believe them, you know, because people wouldn't, you know, people wouldn't just say that. It's, it's not, you know, but, and nobody wants to feel like that and you know we can't there is always a reason and people just need support we need safety and support you know and recognition people need to be heard um and we need to just stop the judgment yeah. on mental health we really do i feel very passionate about that i think it's you know having been in the depths of kind of difficulties of mental health and addiction which is obviously subject to loads of stigma 
mm. um, you know, working with sort of HIV, people, you know, with HIV and things, you know, and the mental health problems with that. And the, the, the stigma and the, you know, the just that attitude of judgment is so damaging. And that's what causes the suicide because people feel they can't reach out, they can't talk, they can't find that safety that they need at that point. And, you know, it's, it's awful, really, and I, you know, I, I just think awareness is the key. Um, we need a society to be open and willing, and people need to talk about mental health. I mean, it's getting a lot better, but there still is the stigma, and there's still a lot of people out there who, it's almost like, well, I, you know, I, I, if I can't see it in my life, it's, it's not real, mm. sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about breaking down the stigma. I belong to a group called Broken Mind, um, which is a men's mental health group. And, and they are all based on um, basically breaking down the stigma for men, particularly. Um, and I know that, you know, this is about, you know, the, 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 the statistics of men are very, very high. The statistics for women are very high. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they're, they're higher with men. It's yes, all, you know, anyone, anyone who is struggling. You know, and thinking that they don't want to live anymore. You know, just we need to learn as a society to listen to that and take notice of that. Also, those people who are in positions to help people need to take it seriously because sadly, you know, I have a friend who is a male and um, actually went to seek help from a hospital and said that, you know, they didn't want to carry on and they just completely ignored it. They actually laughed. So um, I think there just needs to be, you know, better training within within the mental health, you know, industry themselves and people who are actually working within um, the mental health industry because it's just so damaging to, to do something like that to somebody. Absolutely. And, you know, people who are working in all services, you know, ambulance, um, hospitals, everywhere, because it's, it's a big part of um, of life. You know, we all have brains and we all have mental health. Um, and so it is vulnerable. You know, we all know what happens when you break your leg. And everybody reacts to that. Oh, they've got a broken leg, it needs to be fixed. But when people cry out with mental health and difficulties, people are like, oh, no, we don't understand that, so we'll stay away. So, yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. So it's, it's education is needed yeah. for all the key services as well yeah absolutely um when I when um Harry and Meghan decided to step away from the monarchy I viewed this as an act of self-care to be honest um that they needed to do for themselves why is self-care so important and why is that something you think we need to practice more this this is a really great question and actually I've been doing some, some research recently and um you may or may not have heard of this, but there's a, a thing called the vagus nerve, um, which is, is like a nerve. This is kind of all the stuff that's coming up in the psychotherapy world at the moment. And this nerve kind of needs to be in a ventral state for us to be healthy and well, our bodies to be functioning properly. Um, and the way to be in that vagus uh, ventral state is to have those periods of calm to have, you know, to spend, you know, time on a, a beach going or going for a walk. We don't go to beaches most these days, but, you know, going for a walk or, you know, having a chill out time with a pet, you know, just um, relaxing, you know, looking after yourself, good health, you know, it's good food, exercise, all those kinds of things, nurturing yourself with the things that you enjoy. And I think, you know, referring back to what we were talking about, that sort of British stiff up the lift attitude, mm. you know, I think we, we've got into, we've got to carry on regardless and, you know, keep pushing. And there's so much pressure in society. And what happens is we're all going to just break, you know, physically and mentally. But the mental health affects our physical health. So if we want to live longer, you know, have longevity, have good functioning organs, you know, not be suffering with stress-related disorders. We need to self-care. I mean, to me, it makes absolute sense. I mean, it would cost the the country so much less if people, if a lot more people self-cared, and there was this message 
out there. Um, yeah, so, you know, we otherwise we're in that fight or flight state all the time where adrenaline is running around the body and it upsets our whole system. So, yeah, self-care is absolutely paramount. Yeah, I don't know if it's a rumour, but I heard, you know, that stress is the biggest killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think the f- we've been taught to kind of just prioritise our physical health and not our mental health. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be something that needs to change, I think, um, especially in the UK yeah. where it's not really discussed that much. Yeah. Um, and so there is this new awareness now that of the link between the mind and the body. Um, and yeah. the fact that, you know, what goes on in the mind, because the mind produces chemicals, it produces hormones related to stress levels, and they're all fed down into the body. And, you know, we get, you know, you get a painful arm or a painful joint. You've had a break previously, but if you if you get under stress, you will notice that that joint. I mean, I I have broken arms from that car accident, and I notice when I'm stressed that my arms start to hurt more, yeah. my hands start to ache. Yeah. It, it's like the stress goes to those areas. That's true, actually, because it's funny. I I actually suffer from IBS, um, and I find that when I'm feeling the most stressed. I have such bad cramps and pains in my stomach and it has, you know, maybe nothing to do what I've, what, with what I've just eaten, but it's the emotion. And there was actually some research into um, if stress is a contributor to IBS symptoms. Um, and I found that very interesting because, you know, prior to researching, I had no idea that that, you know, that there was a connection. Yeah. I would say there's a definite connection. I haven't read the research, um, but my experience is IBS is a, a symptom of stress. Um, it definitely it flares up during stress. Um, yeah. It gets a lot worse. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, worry is also such a common problem for so many people, including myself sometimes. But if you find it difficult to stop worrying, it can lead to anxiety. Do you have any tips of, with the best way to kind of deal with this issue? Because it's very common. Yes, I do. I, mean, one, I have a couple of video courses available on my website. And one of them is uh, called From Warrior to Warrior. And um, it's very difficult to say that. <laughs> I realised <laughs> that when I was making the videos, because I keep saying it. Um, but the three things that I point out during those videos are basic skills that they take practice and a work to do but it's, it's having a routine and mindfulness is key mm. and actually somebody i was talking to somebody yesterday and they're, they're feeling you know they're in that place where they've got a hundred things going on in their mind they can't stop worrying about all these things and i said to them, just take 10 minutes in the day at some point maybe try and do it twice if you can to just sit and be mindfully aware of your breathing. So focus on a point. Either you're breathing, if breathing is focusing on breathing, just focus on your feet and the contact of your feet to the ground, or just focus on your hearing. Um, just focus on one point, or look at an object, look at a picture, and just look at that for 10 minutes. Because by doing that, you're sending a message to your brain that everything's okay, and there's no need to worry. Because, you know, and worry, I would say, you know, 80% of things that we worry about never happen. Mm. And this is where the second tip comes in, which is the should and the must, which we really need to take out of our language. So I should do this, I should do that, I must do this, I must do that. All of those are what I call demanding thinking. And they just send us into worry and anxiety. Um, okay, yeah, you'd prefer to do that, but sometimes you can't always get all these things to be. Maybe it's not humanly possible. You know, it's the pressure that we put on ourselves that causes the worry. And also focus on what you're grateful for, the positive. Um, So think about, you know, it's it's just training your mind to focus on the positives rather than the negatives. Because worry is all about projecting either into the future or the past. So just bringing yourself into the moment okay what what have I got in this moment actually everything's okay yeah those are the three things I would um suggest 
Yes, thank you. It's very true. Um, and I often hear speak, people speaking about um, giving gratitude and, and, and talking about positive affirmations. And it's so important, I think, to kind of ground yourself with that. And it does take away the focus from, you know, anything that neg- anything that's kind of negative that's going on in your mind. Um, I often hear phrases like it's a mother's job to worry or they're set in their ways. And both of these statements are problematic just as much as you said, I should do this or I need to do that. It's very demanding. Do you work with many mothers or older clients who may be suffering from their mental health, but may not have had that experience with therapy or coaching before? How do you tend to help skeptical people? Because I know quite a few people who who are like this. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah, so the answer to that is I do work with people who are um, mothers. I do yeah. work with older people, and I, I do work with people who are quite skeptical about um, therapy. Um, but then, doesn't everyone want to feel better? And you know, often. Um, if people come to me at their last resort, they might have put it off for years. Um, they tried to be self-sufficient. I think that help, what helps people who are skeptical is, A, understanding the brain science. A lot of times, people, if they have an explanation for it or understand it, then they, they say, oh, okay. Um, it's not that I'm just going mad. I think it's the stigma that's got people coming to help because they think, Mental health is stigmatized. There's something wrong with you. You're gonna, you know, you, you're gonna, you, you're crazy. That's what you know. That's the thought that comes to people's minds. You're not crazy. There's just actual physical problems going on for you in your brain mm. that we can sort out. You know, with um, with neuroplasticity, with the neuroscience. You know, and it it requires doing certain exercises to change that. It's a bit like going to the physiotherapist. Mm. I often explain to people, you know, if you if you have, say, if you have whiplash, okay, that has an impact throughout your whole body. You go to the physiotherapist, they give you exercises. And some of the exercises they give you don't seem to be related to where the pain is, but they work. Um, and I'm really, so I had that experience a couple of years ago and I had some whiplash. I went to, I was like, why are you telling me to do this when the pain with my arm and the pain's down in my lower back? Yeah. But it's because everything's interconnected. And it's the same with mental health, you know, that we, you know, you might be struggling with anxiety. And um, so I'll say to you, okay, well, you know, if you, if you um, start using positive affirmations, then you're going to rewire that part of your brain. Or if you start going for a walk every day and experiencing nature, you'll get some happy hormones running through your body. Mm. And that will start to help you feel better and karma so people start to understand once you tell them the science behind it the science is so important and also compassion um knowing that actually other people are going through the state that's yeah. why i love groups so many people come on my group and they're like wow i didn't realize that other people felt like that mm. because we don't we always think that we're on our own yeah um you know, going back to the physical problems, you know, loads of people, you need to break your leg. It's, it's a thing, you break your leg. But having mental health problems, because we don't talk about it, people think other people aren't suffering with it. Mm. And, you know, that goes back to the question we were talking about earlier, where it, we need to have a general knowledge that actually mental health problems happen. And it's okay. It doesn't mean that we're going crazy. So, yeah, it's the compassion, you know, the understanding, the recognition that there are other, other people as well struggling with some things themselves and it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Um, the brain science and then that thing of just kind of just, you know, starting, to, when they start to feel the benefits, they're like, oh, okay, actually this does work. So I often give key tips in my first couple of sessions just so people can take them away and see the benefits. And then they're like, okay, actually, this is maybe working for me. It's true. You know, I think a lot of people doubt until they actually feel something and, and see yeah. a change. And that's when they start to 
to really believe it. And I think that's really helpful for other people who may be skeptical because, you know, especially if they might know somebody who is um, currently doing, you know, therapy and they could speak to them about their experiences and that could possibly encourage somebody else who may have been skeptical and not wanting to go into therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Another thing is anxiety and imposter syndrome. And it's something that is discussed quite a lot on this podcast, actually. We speak, we use these two kind of like terms so many times in, in a lot of the episodes. Um, since the lockdown, so many changes have been happening in terms of how we live our daily lives. Changes such as working or studying from home on the dreaded Zoom calls. I personally feel quite overwhelmed with Zoom and feel anxious with socialising with strangers on there, especially large groups. And I know you mentioned that working with groups is sometimes quite powerful and you can kind of see other people who are experiencing things. But some people may not enjoy being in groups. I personally sometimes feel quite uncomfortable being with groups of strangers how would you advise someone who was experiencing this too well yeah I mean again it's a great question because if you're anxious in a group of strangers it actually means that your safety system is working really well because prehistorically we were our brains would fire off an alarm if you're amongst a group of strangers because in a group of strangers, you would likely to be killed. You likely to be killed. So yeah. we still have that mechanism that kicks off when we're amongst strangers. You know, we're like, I feel vulnerable. I feel insecure, and we can even feel like we're going to die mm. because our brain sends us that message. So the first thing I would say to people is, it's absolutely normal, and of course you're going to feel like that. And even if, you know, on Zoom, obviously, is we cannot pick up a lot of body language yes. on Zoom. Exactly. So it makes it even more confusing for the brain because we, we so need messages. Um, I mean, so much, like 80% of communication is nonverbal. So it's a smile or, you know, people looking arms on cross. Those give us messages that those people are okay. But you can't see those things because people on Zoom, you know, when we're in a group on Zoom, sometimes people are distracted. They're not even looking at the camera. Mm. You know, it's you can't pick up the smile. People don't tend to smile on Zoom because you've got nothing to smile at or you've just got a whole platform of people. So it just makes the brain just goes mad. <laughs> really, really difficult. Yeah. I mean, I, what I do with people is I always suggest them to put it on speaker view. And just forget the fact that there's other people there. Yeah. You know, just put it, put it on speaker view and just listen to the person that's speaking. Um, because it's, it's impossible for our brains to manage that level of people on a platform like that. And the other thing is that, you know, it looks for maybe if you're going to do something that's, you know, a bigger group on Zoom, look for ones that do have breakout groups. Yeah. Ask the data if they're doing breakout groups. Because when you've got three or four, it's kind of manageable. Exactly. Um, and, and the safety safety things can kick, kick in. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, don't beat yourself up. But it's difficult. Of course it's difficult. And, you know, it's, it's understandable that it's difficult. My, my actual suggestion is as soon as you can, get back out there and meet with people face to face. Yes. Um, you know, because that's what we need as human yeah. beings. We need that around us. Uh, we've also, I think we need to all give ourselves a big pat on the back for having got through this year, you know, with the level of isolation because it's traumatising. It's yeah. another trauma is not having that connection with people. Yeah, sadly, I think, you know, when we discuss 2020 in the future, a lot of us will just think, oh, my goodness, that's a time that I do not want to go back to. It's awful. Um, gratitude and affirmation, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, are words that circle around the wellness industry a lot. But what can these two things help to do to really help us aid our own well-being? I think I've touched on this a little bit before, but um, with gratitude and affirmation, they just rewire the brain. 
Um, so what wires together, fires together. So if you're firing positivity into your mind, so you're saying positive mantras or affirmations, um, you know, gratitude lists, that is sending a message to your brain about these things. So they're positive. And um, so in your brain, you know, the, the neurons for positivity are firing and that part of your brain starts to grow. And the part that fires a lot for negativity starts to diminish. I'm a living example of that. I was one of the most negative people you can ever come across. My children always used to say to me, Mum, you're so negative. I was literally catastrophic about everything. And it was my depression and anxiety. But over the years, as I've built in the gratitude and the affirmations, I've started to learn to do these things. You know, I've seen the physical results of that. And generally, my first thought is a positive one now. I mean, sometimes I'll have those moments where I go, oh, this is awful. But then I'm like, no, actually, it's not. And I, I look positive. You know, it's almost like my brain seeks them now. Whereas before, my brain seek had the negativity bias that would seek the negative. So, the, you know, there's brain science again behind it and why they work so well. Honestly, listening to you talking about this and, and, and what your children said, they sound like me with my mum. And I'm thinking I really want to book my mum onto your course because... Yeah, it, she, she, she can be quite negative as well sometimes. And I think, like you said, it's just, it's it's the underlying issue, which is probably anxiety or depression. Um, and so many people mm. experience that. But yeah, it's quite refreshing to hear, you know, that you've just spoken about that because, um, yeah, it's, it's so common. And it, something just clicked in my head, like, oh my goodness, like I'm, not the only one yeah 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 it's because we have a negativity bias anyway i mean you know we need a one we need three positives to overcome a negative yeah so you know because negative our our, our brains are scanning for negativity all the time and it needs to do that in a way because it needs to send us warnings to help us survive our prehistoric brain does so we need to know okay um you know, the weather's going to be rainy later on, so I best not go out, or I best take an umbrella. Um, you know, there's high winds later. I better, you know, I better be careful and make sure that I'm, you know, I'm not kind of somewhere where I'm concerned something can kind of knock me over. Um, that's not a very good example, but we we look for those things. Our brain like just scans for them. Whereas, you know, the positivity we actually have to think about it. So, you know, we really have to put an effort into to think of positive and we really need three positives to counteract every negative and the negative bias will always come back absolutely and like you said it's not easy it's hard work and I guess people could say you know it's easier said than done because it does take work but doesn't everything good take work like you you need to work for a lot of things so you know working towards a positive mindset is something that I think could help so many people, myself included. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like the physio, isn't it? If you don't yeah. do the physio, you end up, you know, with continuing problems. But exactly. um, yeah, mm. so true. Um, I've had CBT therapy myself actually in the past, and I felt it helped at the time, but the results uh, were not very sustainable just after a few weeks of sessions. I'm not sure, you know, if it was just because there wasn't enough sessions. Um, But what can people do to make these sessions more sustainable in their lives going forward? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big question now, actually, because I I, I trained as a CPT therapist, but I've learned is so much more. Yeah. feeling better than just understanding your thinking um you know it's about lifestyle it's about you know your your approach to life it's about the gratitude um it's about your body it's about self-care it's about having safety and enjoyment in your life um and you know the, the skills are great but they're they're almost kind of surface and we need to really feel better we need to do the deeper work of okay what what am I here for and, and that's where I'm, I'm doing like um, inverted commas you know spiritual I can come in or they call it existential but it's like okay why am I here what do I want from life and fulfilling that yeah you know, it's my L of the rebel message 
because that's that's the ultimate peace of mind yeah. is understanding yeah how you think because that impacts your behavior and your you know your how you feel but then okay so what else is contributing to me not feeling so good in life and making changes um to the best of your ability and sometimes those changes involve sacrifices it can be quite tough people but you know getting support with that and we only have one life don't we so you know um i think that you know there's, there's a lot to be said for for doing the, the full kind of mind body spirit it's not just about thinking so i don't want to diminish cbt cbt is great but it, it needs more I yeah would say. yeah you could do things alongside it perhaps that um mm. yeah, yeah. other parts of, of your body thank you yeah for- absolutely Thank you. Um, now moving on to my favourite part of the show, which is pets. Can you tell us a bit more about your life and journey with pets so far? Okay, so as, as a child, my parents had two Labradors and I was quite often found as a child curled up in the dog bed with the dog. So I had a love of pets from very, very early on. And so that I, I wanted, you know, as you said, I, I wanted to be a vet when I was younger. Um, I, I used to go out on the lambing, and you know, I I just loved animals. I used to horse ride, and you know, so I just loved being around animals. I think it was because I found humans quite difficult to communicate with because mm-hmm. um, I was quite shy, and I always felt that animals were so unconditionally loving, and you know, it was it was just so great to have a relationship with another being um, that I felt at ease in. So I've always had pets when I was living in Wales. Oh, we had kind of multiple litters of puppies and you know, cat litters and, you know, so, um, and I had chickens and um, we had some ducks as well. So, you know, I had lots of pets when I was in Wales. Um, since then, we've moved obviously back to London and, um, you know, I've, I have, you know, I've had a couple of pets over that time, but not so many because it's been, you know, I just thought the environment wasn't right. But since we came up here to Northampton, um, as I say, you know, I now have the two. I have a, a cat called Summer, um, who came. She was left by my lodgers actually in my house in London, and um, I, so I took her on. Uh, and her three sisters. We found homes for the three sisters. Uh, they just left a litter of pets there, of of kittens, which is a shame. But um, they got homes anyway. So and I have the two pugs now, uh, Millie and Short Legs. Now Short Legs was meant to be called. Um, they were meant to be um, Pugsy, Pugsy and Maloney. That was my original one because they they came with different names, which we didn't want to take on. They were four, they'd been four years, um, no, two and a half years. They'd been living with some people. They were rescue rescue dogs. Um, they'd been kept for breeding, um, and unfortunately, they both lost both of their litters, so they were kind of rejected um, and kept outside in a yard. It's very sad, and so we we took them on, um, and uh, they were the Mipakasi Maloney, but they turned out to be Millie and Short Legs. My husband called the little one Short Legs because she has short legs, and <laughs> he just responds to that now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cute, so cute. Oh, and what a lovely story! It it literally melts my heart when I hear a rescue story because, like, I talk about it all the time in the podcast. I really encourage people to to kind of go for rescues rather than go to like a breeder. Um, and when I hear good rescue story, it just really makes me smile and always cry sometimes because I'm just so happy that they are happy now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that did so. They've landed on their feet then. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just sad, really sad, because they, you know, they lost it. And you know, the vets that even the little one shouldn't have been bred because she is so tiny. Yeah, um, so she just couldn't, you know, and she was rejected for that, and you know, it's just really, really sad. Of course, and yeah. they experienced trauma as well. Absolutely, I, I mean, it was, it was a friend of mine who lived next door to. Um, to them and uh, so she knew what was going on and mm. spoke to her neighbour and um, she said no I don't really want them do you know anyone who wants to take them yeah. and um, 
I just need to get rid of them. And they, when they came, you know, there was a message of, well, well, there's no return. And we were like, well, why would we want to return them? They're yeah. amazing. Exactly. Exactly. Aww. I mean, don't get me wrong, they are a bit annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pugs are really unique. They've got funny personalities as well, haven't they? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit more about all of them individually in your cat um, and how they may have helped aid your own well-being? Because I know you mentioned um, that, you know, they helped a lot during the lockdown. What was what, what was that like having them around? Oh, wow. I mean, it's just, we got them before lockdown. So we got them in May 2019. Obviously, we had no idea this was going to happen. Um, so, you know, they were sort of getting a bit used to us sort of going out for two, three hours at a time uh, and coming back. And we went on a holiday and um, a girl over the road, she moved into the house and looked after them. So they were having to get used. And then on January, um, you know, March last year, suddenly we were at home all the time. And what happened is my husband and I started to go out walking them together. And we just went all over the place. And the fact that we had the dogs there, um it was just amazing. it was just really really brilliant it was good for our relationship mm. and couple and it got us outside um because I don't think we would have walked even though they said you know go for a walk every yeah. day knowing myself and my husband I don't think we would have gone out for walks if we didn't have the dog mm. but, oh, like, you know let, let's take the dogs out and yeah, I suppose in a way they'd be really good for our relationship because obviously we're, we're a bit older. We haven't got children. Um, we don't have children together. We have grandchildren. And yeah. You know, it's my second marriage. Um, his children are also grown up. So we have no children in the house, but we have these two pugs. And it's like having children. We have two little things to take care of. Exactly. And they make us laugh. You know, we look at them and we just say, oh, my goodness, mate. Are they really doing that? And then they cuddle up. Uh, or they come and cuddle us so I they are so cuddly I mean they're the most cuddly things I've ever come across um <laughs> so they'll just sit especially the, the white one Millie she'll sit on your lap and she's because she's white she's a bit like a, a polar bear Aww. um and she's got lots of colors of skin but she doesn't lie on your lap she's so cuddly and it just makes you feel warm and it, she feels when you cuddle her it feels like you're cuddling a baby it really does and yeah. um, you know, she just loves it. And the little one's a bit crazy and you know, <laughs> just sort of jumps around all over the place and gets up on your shoulder if she can. And so it gives us laugh, you know, fun, something else to focus on, something that you know, we can both commonly have in our relationship that's so helped us manage living in this house together through lockdown. Um, you know, we've had to deal with situations together like they sometimes they fight like siblings and um at one point they had quite a bad fight it was in the summer um before everything opened again and um short legs knocked off her little um uh, one of her nails um one of her claws and there was just blood everywhere um but we you know we had to kind of deal with that and then she had to kind of feel looked after and her foot all wrapped up every day and I don't know Something, there's something about that that keeps the same looking yeah. after another being mm-hmm. um yeah no it's, it's, it's lovely and my cat she she comes in in the morning for cuddles she comes into the bedroom the dogs aren't allowed in the bedroom but she comes into the bedroom and it's like her spot she's built a relationship with the dog and it's quite funny actually because they just walk past her and she just sits there and kind of watches them but she gives us joy and laughs as well <laughs> <laughs> you know she's a nice cat she's a friendly cat she likes to cuddle uh, nice yeah. that they get on as well like if not get on then coexist at least so that's yeah a- they do coexist yeah <laughs> she tends to keep out of the way yeah she comes in my office she's my office cat and she'll, she'll spend all day in the office with me and quite often sometimes when I'm on a call with a client and I think she she tunes into stuff because mm. if, if I'm talking to a cat lover she will come in and she'll go up on the shelf behind me. And they're like, oh, look, there's your cat there. <laughs> and we'll start talking about the cat. And, uh, you know, I have had a pre- previous experience with the client where I had a dog. I think I was looking after my son's dog. 
And uh, I was talking to this client and suddenly this dog just barged into the room and jumped on this client's lap. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm really, really sorry. He's <laughs> like, let me get her out. And she's like, no, I want this dog to be here. And so wow. this dog, um, Tia, she's called, less that she's about 14 years old now. But she, she would sit in the session with my client and it actually helped the client throughout the session because she'd sit there smoking and it, it, it helped her to just relax and be able to kind of talk things through. She, she was just more relaxed because she had this dog on her lap. Yeah, they're like little therapists within themselves, aren't they? Like they don't need to talk, but just their presence alone is just so powerful. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And you get those positive those positive endorphins as well when you when you're around them. And yeah, it's, yeah. they're definitely um they definitely help so many people. I think especially those who are homeless or, or struggling with mental health. You often see homeless people with dogs or even cats I've seen recently as well. And I just think that's yeah. just so lovely just to to have that companion. And they're so loyal, yeah. so loving, like you said. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a big cu- encourager of people kind of um, sharing those kind of difficult times with pets because they're non-judgmental, like you mentioned, and just there to to give you love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my favorite question is: if your dogs were human, <laughs> what would they be like? <laughs> Okay, so, so Millie, the, the white one, who's a bit like a, a polar bear, small polar bear, she would just be, she's like an old man who <laughs> just wants to sleep all the time. She doesn't want to go out for walks. Um, if food is on the agenda, that's about the only way I can get her to, <laughs> to move. Um, but she, you literally have to pick her. If she's, if she's on my husband's lap, for instance, I'm saying, like, we're going out for a walk now, I have to literally go and pick her up off his lap and take her out. Um, to where the leads are and put her lead on so she you know she's just like a, an old man really yeah. sleep all the time whereas the other one is like she's just what's going on what's going on where are we going what are we doing what are we doing why are you doing that why she's constantly moving and it's really incredible because her sisters yeah so she's, you know constantly running around she wants to lick you all the time so you know she's lick your face lick your hands lick your, your jumper um <laughs> She doesn't, and then sort of pass out for about an hour, and then she's up again. Yeah, what's going on? What's going on? She's running around. So she's like some kind of hyperactive child. Yeah, yeah. you know, the sleepy old man and the hyperactive child. That is hilarious. What about the cat? What is the cat like? Oh, she is very sophisticated and chilled, (laughs) but she's in control. You know, she's she's in control of the situation. and she does some quite surprising things actually with people sometimes because she, she wants the affection and then she'll just turn around and slap somebody. <laughs> so she's quite nasty actually in her own yeah. and quite mocking really. But yeah. um, she's very loving, but it, it's all on her terms. Yeah, yeah. So she's a bit of a kind of catchy middle-aged woman really. Yeah, who's in control. That is... yeah. Buddy, your household sounds like so much fun, honestly. <laughs> Never a dull moment, I guess. Oh, no, definitely not, no. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Vanessa. It's been incredible and um it's been so fulfilling and informative and then to hear about your pets at the end has been hilarious. <laughs> so thank you. Um, but lastly, oh, thank you so much. no, thank you. If our listeners want to find out more about you and your accounts online, your website, where can they find you? Okay. Um, yeah, just before that, I was, I've really enjoyed this too as well. I've absolutely loved this. Oh, thank you. So if people want to get hold of me or contact me, um, my website is www.crystalclearcoaching.org. Um, you can email me direct Vanessa at crystalclearcoaching.org. I'm also on Facebook, so it's under Crystal Clear Retreat. Um, I'm on Instagram, Crystal Clear Coach. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I have a Facebook group as well, which is a you know um, a, a group, an open group. Um, so, uh, but you can ask to join that. It's called Crystal's Charity with Vanessa Wallace. So, if you want to join the group and see what's happening, want to kind of get more kind of personal and understand what I do on a daily basis, then that's the place to be. Really, is in the Facebook group. Okay, thank you so much for for sharing that, and I'll be sure to to put all of that in the show notes and on the blog. Um, so that people can click on the links and and get in touch with you. Um, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Yes, thank you so much. And you too. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We have some amazing guests on the show who share such invaluable advice, stories and inspiration. Can you do me a favour? If you like this podcast, please could you rate, review and subscribe. This will help us reach people who can benefit from listening. Another way you could help is if you could tell a friend who you think might enjoy this podcast too. See you next week. Goodbye. Thank you.